Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order, and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. another episode before i introduce the next guest which you are going to be over the moon excited to listen to because she is so funny and she's a returning guest and she has one of the most downloaded episodes i had to bring her back so we could jam on the subject such as unavailable men oh my gosh but before we get to that it's important that you know that i might be coming to a city near you the beginning of may i'm going to be going to san diego la and san francisco so if you want to grab your tickets, so San Diego is going to be on May 2nd, LA May 4th, and San Francisco May 7th. And all you have to do is go to Create the Love SD or Create the Love LA or Create the Love SF, so the acronym for the city. So create the love sd.eventbrite.com. So just whichever city you're in, you want to grab tickets too. So the early bird ends on Monday, April 14th, which might be when you hear this. That's okay. So if you want to, you can put in Mark Rose Podcast as a code and you will get the early bird price for the tickets up until the event because I want to say thank you for you being you and you listening to this. So without further ado, the next guest is none other than Amy Young, who is a coach. She has a YouTube channel that's absolutely freaking hilarious. She has an Instagram that's hilarious. She is just brilliant. She gives solid relationship advice. I've had her on before. She crushes it. And we just have so much fun chatting. So I don't want you to have to wait any longer. Make sure you go grab tickets. Make sure you leave a five-star review for this podcast. And if you could leave me a written review, that is so helpful. No more waiting. Here it is. Welcome, everybody, back to another episode of the Mark Groves Podcast. Man, I've already had this amazing... I was going to say delicious. That was going to sound like <laughs> you are delicious. You're a delicious human being. Thank um, you. Amy Young. Amy Young, back by very popular demand. Oh, dang. Delicious, so, popular. She'll be so thrilled. Right. She'll be so proud of me. She, she really would. Let's be honest. She would. Yeah. 
I mean, for those of you that don't know Amy Young and you didn't listen to the first episode that she was on, I'm going to set a standard here. She's hilarious. And we just have a lot of fun jamming on all things dating. Mm -hmm. You have an amazing YouTube channel. Thank you. And what is your area right now that you're like getting fired up about? Because, you know, I, I think we get like super passionate and fired up about questions we get. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's funny. I don't know if you remember this, but like, I remember maybe like two years ago, three years ago or something, we had a conversation once where we, we jokingly were like, we should do like a webinar that's just like Mark and Amy yelling about relationship stuff. Okay. <laughs> I feel like we both get so worked up about so many of the same kinds of things. Um, I think the thing that fires me up, right, because I work specifically with single women, yeah. Um, and I do so much of what I call like the foundational work of relationship building, which is like, what is your relationship like with yourself? What is your self-esteem like? What your self-care? Like, what are your standards? What are your habits? How do you date? What's your approach? Like, I help women a lot independent of relationship, just kind of get right with themselves um, so that they can show up you know, more in their power and, and with a greater sense of positive possibility uh, in the dating sphere, nothing I think like hurts me and sets me on fire in a bad way yeah. <laughs> more than when there's just a woman who's tolerating. Um, I mean, I use a lot of colloquialisms, but like I talk like tolerating like bottom feeder bro behavior, like bottom, bottom feeder bro. Is that colloquial? I didn't know. I was... <laughs> it's um, it's an American term. You Canadians wouldn't know. Bottom no. bros, like, like Jersey Shore style. No, see, it, it's not even. I mean, yeah, like I think the situation. He was the famous one from the Jersey Shore. He definitely, to me, is like a classic bottom feeder bro. But it's just someone who is blatantly mistreating, disrespecting not choosing you. Right, that's the language that you use so often that I like stolen a little bit because I just think it it's so like when I ask women that when I'm like well is this person choosing you you can't really run away from that answer right <laughs> it's like pretty direct right <laughs> it's no, pretty it's obvious binary. it's binary it's a one or a zero yeah and yet we as women and I speak you know and I say all this because the bottom feeder bro was like my drug of choice. I've had <laughs> a lot so... of Peter Betty for sure. <laughs> a lot of Peter Betty. Yeah. Like I don't, sorry, you know, Betty, you're probably you, so we're okay. It's we're fine. <laughs> right. But like, you know, that I always wanted the guy who didn't want me back. That was like my MO. So I say this with a profound amount of like empathy and understanding for that struggle and being on the other side of that struggle and seeing how futile it is to pursue oh. relationships with those people when I get an email from someone, you know, where that's what they're going through, when I start working with a client and that's what they're going through, it's a really fascinating process to start to like unpack and dissolve that. Because I think so often the, what the story that we're telling ourselves in our heads is, well, the problem is that they're not choosing me. Right. So yeah. That's like, the challenge. That's the challenge. The challenge is just that they're not choosing me and they don't text me back when I want them to text me back and they don't, they're, you know, they're not fully into me. So if I can just get them to do that, then my problem will be solved. And yeah, then I'll get to like everything when really it's like, no, your problem is that you pick those people. 
Totally. Like your problem is that, and the language that I always use, and I stole this from Heather Haverleski, who's a, an amazing, she's an existential life advice columnist for The Cut. She's, uh, her pen name is Ask Polly. And she says, very specifically, she says that you are often, you're attracted to tepid. You're attracted, tepid is like lukewarm, uh-huh. halfway in, like loose focus. You're attracted to people who only give you maybe like, you know, 20 to 50% of what you actually want or need from a partner. You're attracted to that. And I remember when I first started kind of getting friendly with that concept that I was like, oh, it's not like my relationship problems will be solved when this guy gets on board. The only reason that I'm into this guy at all is because he's not into me. Yeah. As soon as he becomes into you, you'll code him as boring. Yes. uh, Because there's no... um, drama yeah like the body has coded chemistry as unavailable tension not tension that is um a man or a woman who has good boundaries that yeah separates self from other mm-hmm. like they have walls that you've miscoded as high self-worth when they're really yes. actually low self-worth masquerading as games and bullshit yeah 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 yeah, yeah. you know and I it's, get revved about this. Subject. I get so fucking pissed. And I want to say myself, like old versions of me where I was like, no, but you know, she's just out of a relationship and she just isn't ready yet. And my friends would be like, you're an idiot. And I'm like, <laughs> no, you don't, you know? And then I'd get out of it and I'm like, I was an idiot. I was an idiot. Yeah. And you know, the other thing is like to follow up on what happens when that person if that person eventually chooses you, which I would say is like 15% of those equations, maybe. And the only reason they would is because you called their ass out. Yeah. Amen to that. Um, What you're also just stepping into then is a dynamic where you have been placing this other person on a pedestal. It's such a traditional, like, you know, one up, one down dynamic, which is non-functional, which is dysfunctional and non-functional in the long term. It's not sustainable anyway. So it's like that whole paradigm needs to be, I mean, I spend so much time in my content online, in my videos and in Instagram and anywhere where you find me talking on the internet, dismantling this paradigm of like, I, yeah, I hear you. It's such a, um, it's such a mind fuck for people because it's like, we just convince ourselves there's going to be a payoff. There's going to be a payoff. Like I've invested so much in this person. I've committed so much to this. I've given them my body, my time, my energy, my focus, my attention at some point. They have my Spotify password. I mean, (laughs) my Netflix account. Yeah. Like what am I, I'm going to have to pay for Netflix now. That's That's some bullshit. I better hold on to this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, go on. No, so I just, I'm really big on breaking, like breaking that spell for people. Cause that's, if you're in a situation like that right now where you are like actively choosing someone who is not actively choosing you back consistently, you are under a spell. It's like, you have to be. You're, yeah, you're like, it's like in the Sleeping Beauty scene where she's like just, you know, like not fully awake and she's still like <laughs> drifting through the castle and she's going to prick her finger on the damn spindle. That's you right now. Like you're not fully awake. You're, and, <laughs> and it sucks to like have to acknowledge that or hear that. Like you said, you hated it when other people would tell you, right? I hated it. When other people oh, I hated it because it was truth. I hated it. <laughs> I mean, I think that this brings it back to... My thoughts are that you are asleep because you have to be in mm. order to stay in what you're in. 
Mm-hmm. And I've worked with lots of people and I hear this repeatedly, repeated. I've, it, it might as well just have its own Instagram, really, is I hear repeatedly, um, he, exactly what you're saying, he doesn't choose me or she doesn't choose me. Mm-hmm. They're, you know, dating other people. I just, but I see so much potential and they're just hurt right now. They're not ready. And, or they're lying to me. Like mm-hmm. I find a picture of another woman on his phone and he tells me it's his cousin sending a picture to make, sh- just to show how much weight she's lost. You know, like mm-hmm. coming up with all these bullshit. Yeah, weird stuff. Right. Yeah. And when we start to believe lies and when we actually know a deeper truth, then we have to disconnect from the truth and we have to live in a world where lies are the truth. Mm-hmm. And when you have to live in the world where lies are the truth, you feel like you're going fucking crazy. Because you live in a world where lies are the truth. So you mm-hmm. are going crazy. You can't help it. And you're like, I don't know why I'm anxious. I'm pretty sure I know why. And actually, yeah. <laughs> fuck. <laughs> but yeah, so, I mean, what's the way out? Let's, let's just, let's, let's, let's just break it down. So what I will usually tell clients and what we start to do together and just the power of the conversations that we have are helpful because I will only tell the truth about what I'm, what I objectively am seeing and witnessing and hearing. Right. So what I start to do with people is I say, okay, so here's what we're going to do. You have a story about what's going on here, right? You have a story about, yeah, this person is really great, but this person is so wonderful, but this person really loves me, but they just cheat on me all the time or whatever, or, you know, they can't make a commitment to me. I say, what we're going to start to discover together is what's actually going on. We're going to just start unpacking what's actually going on and seeing things for what they really are. Like connecting them to reality. Connecting them to reality. And I remember when that concept first came to me, I was in my like early to mid 20s. I was in love with this guy. I'd been friends with him for a really long time and he was super into me. And from day one, I was like, I'd already gone through like therapy, you know, like I'd done a lot of work on myself already. I thought I was like past it because from day one, I was like, you're not allowed to date that person. That was the conversation that I had. That was what you said to yourself as you started dating him. No, I held out for like a year. I was really good for like a year. Um, That's like being friends with crack and being a crackhead. No, that's what it was. It's It's totally what it was. Yeah. Um, And he was, he was my crack. Like he was like, he was like tattooed and hot and artsy and Irish and like. Oh, shit. He had an accent too. (laughs) He had an accent. That's not fair. That, I mean, that alone. (laughs) It was like it was like a really tempting cocktail. Did he play right? the guitar? Nobody was an actor. Oh, he was an actor. He was an actor. So I remember I literally remember seeing him and being like, I want that and therefore I can't have it because I know that if I go near that, like my life is gonna implode on itself. So for a year I held out. We hang out one night in a group. He and I end up going out. He worked at this really like fancy schmancy, like downtown. A hotel like underground bar thing that like you had to be super like rich or 
hot or famous to get into. And he was like, let's just go grab a drink at this place. Drink. See, the alcohol is where. And here's, I know. So here's the thing. He was a recovering alcoholic. He still is a recovering alcoholic. So he didn't drink, but I had a drink because we weren't going to go to a bar and nobody was going to drink. I mean, I could have at the time, but I was like, I'm going to have. drinking your values (laughs) and your boundaries. Like your boundaries. I'm just going to drink these away. I'm (laughs) going to drink these away. Uh, (laughs) These taste good, but bitter. (laughs) (laughs) And I, rem- I literally remember like, you know, it's like, yeah, like I said, like the voice in my head being like, you're making questionable decisions right now. And- <laughs> I love how we can watch the ship going down. Oh, seriously. And like I did, it was like a moth to a flame. Like it was like I held out for a year. I couldn't hold out forever. I mean, so you're only human. I'm only human. Thank you. <laughs> um, so we ended up like making out that night and it was like, boom. Like I was so completely like smitten, taken, but he was a hot mess express person. Hot he was mess hot. Express. I, he, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say he was a bottom feeder bro, but he was a hot mess express. Like his life was a mess. <laughs> he like, he couldn't. Um, oh, he's so perfect. <laughs> to date. He had a flip phone. Like I hadn't seen a flip phone since like 2007 you know and like not that that's i'm not like throwing shade that i loved it status, though you know from a from like how women code men in terms of their high status or low status they do it from a biological perspective and so they don't even know it's happening but when you see a flip phone and he's so outside <laughs> the norm he's actually yeah. saying fuck the system yeah 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 miss code even yeah. though he's really actually technologically not savvy no and- He's got, and maybe he can't afford a real phone. Like, like, not that if a real phone, like a smartphone's a real phone, but he's like rebelling in that miss yeah. as high status. Totally. Different. So if you I see a guy with a flip phone, anybody. Run, run. run. Yeah. Just run Pop away. Express. It was so, it, yeah, he had very like Ryan Gosling and drive energy. I mean, like, I, yeah, I would go from six to midnight for that. Yeah, I was super taken. I mean, it, but the whole thing, it was like all of six weeks, you know, like it was just like flash, bang, boom. We were just like obsessed with each other. I remember every single, because we had a lot of mutual friends, every single person was like, this is a nightmare. Like, let's all, let's start taking bets. <laughs> They're all just having drinks on the side, like just drinking, watching. but like not drinking their boundaries, having another yeah. different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he started, um, well, now the story takes a sad turn. Are we ready for it to take a sad turn? Well, uh, yep, okay. So he ended up relapsing um, in a really horrible way. Not that there's like a good relapse or a bad relapse, but when he went off the rails, he went really, really far off the rails. Yeah. Um, and he... And all of my, like, I'm wired codependent, classic codependent, and have had to work through so much of that, that it, like, activated all this weird codependent bullshit in me where I was, like, obsessed with getting him sober and healing him and fixing him yeah. and sending it all better. articles, I'll go yeah. to a meeting with you. I started going, yeah, I st- yeah. And I literally remember, like, when I found out that he was drinking again, my first thought was, well, then I'll be sober. Like, I'll be sober for him. Like, that's a thing that anybody can do. (laughs) That doesn't usually get people sober. It doesn't. No. But so he like went off the rails, disappeared. And I was just clinging to like, this has to work and I can fix this and I can fix him. And 
I remember what started happening was it was like became this thing where, and I'm about to quote Sex in the City for anybody who's <laughs> into that at home. I'm actually, it, I haven't heard one today. So, let's, uh, <laughs> so like, really, I'm doing you a favor. Yeah. He's, I was like, he could only reach me and I could never reach him. Oh, that is so torturous. Yeah. So if I called him, it always was like voicemail or the voicemail box was full you know, text messages never got a reply. But if he wanted to talk to me at one o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday, you better believe like, <laughs> yeah. I was leaving my, you know, I was definitely available for a phone call. So, you know, that, <laughs> so that was like just wreaking havoc because like, I wasn't, I wasn't sleeping. I was so consumed by what was going on with him. I was like obsessed. Every conversation that I had with everyone in my life was about him. I was like completely just a goner. And then I remember something and I don't know what it was that started to shift it. I did start going to, that was when I went to like my first Al-Anon meeting. That was when I, I read, I finally read my therapist who told me for years to read Codependent No More. And oh, was, anybody who this story resonates with, Codependent yeah. No More will be both the greatest slap to your face. <laughs> um, and I mean that in the yeah. most positive way it's so it was like i tell people i was one person before reading that book and i was a different person after reading that book yeah if you're ready for reality that book is is fire truth but um but i started so it's probably a combination of things i started waking up to what was actually going on you know not my story of like i'm gonna be the missing link that's going to be able to heal him and save him. He's going to fulfill me in this magical fairy tale way that, you know, I think he'll be able to, we're destined to be together. We've always been destined to be together. Like, I mean, the and universe I, conspired. The universe conspired for us to go to that bar and for me to have like two Mai Tais, you know, like, so clearly this could happen. <laughs> and I started noticing what was actually going on was again, um, he was completely unavailable to me right? He could, he could get in touch with me. I could never get in touch with him. He would make plans and break plans like repeatedly. Like he could never, like, I would be like, can we meet up on Saturday? And he'd be like, yep. And then Saturday, like a half hour, like on my, on, on my way to the place. And he's like, oh, it's not going to work. Let's do tomorrow. And then tomorrow oh, wouldn't no. work. Right. So I started actually paying attention to the actual feelings I was feeling, which was like sad Mm-hmm. disrespected, lonely, angry, upset, hurt, frustrated, exhausted. Like I started tuning into, oh, like this is what my actual experience of this is. It's making me really miserable and crazy and That's sad. beautiful to be able to recognize that your feelings that you've coded as chemistry. Yeah. But they're actually like not, I don't want to say positive feelings, but they're feelings that are telling you to do anything but what you're doing. Yes. And when you miscode that, especially when we're kids and we like miscode unavailability or chaos or pain mm-hmm. as parental love, then mm-hmm. it becomes relational love. Yes. And it and I tell people too, it's like you have to separate your idea from the experience. Right. Mm-hmm. And cause that's so yeah, that's powerful. Because your experience doesn't lie. If your experience is misery, frustration, sadness, exhaustion you need to trust that more than you trust the idea of, no, this is like a magical relationship. I think this is the perfect insert of devil's advocate, which I hear all the time. And it's my favorite thing to hear is, yeah, but what about compassion? And, and like, doesn't this person, everybody's turned their back on them or doesn't Mm -hmm. this person 
deserves someone who cares. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, not at the cost of yourself. And I was literally, I was just going to say caring at the cost of self-sacrifice is not caring. It's codependency. But it's the greatest martyr, right? And it's codependency. Oh, yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's all rooted from a, it's also, you're not actually doing it for the other person. This was like the huge, this was like the other big pill I had to swallow was recognizing I'm not doing this for him. Like my attempts to fix and help and heal and save and solve is coming from a place of, of selfish desire for me to have a sense of purpose and for me to receive love in a way that I don't know how to give myself, in a way that I've never experienced before, in a way that like I was functioning on, on a, like a, a half-empty tank and pouring myself, pouring whatever I had left over into this other person and into this broken relationship was my way of giving myself a sense of like purpose and, and worth mm-hmm. that I didn't have. Especially and, if that's the role we take in our family, you know, yeah. up. it's so easy to just be like, I'll just keep fixing people. That's yeah. And what was modeled for us. Right. And like, but it was, you know, so yeah, I remember, and I'm so glad you bring that up. Cause I remember feeling like, am I abandoning this person? Is he, and mm. it's also, you have to think about the other thing. I remember, thank God I had the therapist I did at the time is she was like, you know, that's awfully like self-important and like savory of you, Amy, that like, oh, you're the one person who's going to fix him. Like, wow. Like, I love a therapist you. like that, hey? She was so snarky. She was like. <laughs> you're like, wow, are, are you're the new Messiah. That must be yeah. nice. How Why amazing. Are you saving everyone. There's a yeah, when And the thing in, in Codependent No More she talks about is like, you know, the difference, like how sweet it seems to want to help people. And really, it's just about trying to control people. Yeah, it's like um, Nice Guys Finish, or No More Mr. Nice Guy, the book by yeah. Robert Glover, is all yeah. about how nice guys are actually anything but nice. Anything but nice. Because it's anything but nice because it's so manipulative. You're yeah. actually only nice because you're creating covert contracts. And yeah. nice girls, too. I mean, you could argue it's codependency, again, yeah. just in a different framework. And I find it interesting that, you know, of course, our role is in wanting to help them, wanting to fix them. But there is also this like magical unconscious thing that's happening, which is I don't actually believe I'm worthy of love. So I'll never choose someone who can. Mm -hmm. And my trick to that will be that I will get so busy working Mm -hmm. on fixing other people so that I can't be the focus of someone. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's sad, you know, really. um, I think it's hard. I mean, it's, it's heartbreaking and it's so hard to have to take ownership over those habits. Right. Because yeah. Like it's having to, it's also, you know, the other thing that I think we sort of joked about it earlier, but it's actually really hard to sit with is having to then go back to those people, right? Like the friends who were like, this isn't going to work. He's a mess. What mm-hmm. are you doing? Like the I give shame. this, you know, like the feeling of having to go back and be like, oh yeah, like those, they were right. You know, see that and, they actually have your back. I know. You know. Like the, know. you know, you see this in um, relationships that have like abusers or narcissists, where the the person on the other side of that relationship, that person has been trying to isolate them from their friends, telling mm-hmm. them their friends are crazy. Mm-hmm. And that's when you start to detach to a world where your truth, the world is a lies, and mm-hmm. you're not connected to reality anymore. You're not connected to truth. And I certainly have been there. I mean, all of the red flags in the planet on the planet were base it was like a base camp at Everest <laughs> for around this woman's head that I was seeing. Oh, 
but I wasn't seeing her a lot because she was just out of a relationship and she was only capable of a certain level of intimacy and everything was so controlled and curated yeah. by her. And I was like a little boy just wanting mom to just choose me, you know, know. and it's fucking crazy. It is. It's totally, it's totally nuts. And it's such a, and the weird thing is like when you start, like I said, like when the, you start breaking the spell, like if you just start getting in touch with, and some, like I'll tell my clients, some assignments I'll give them is to like, you need to just record your feelings, right? Like you need to just get in touch with what you're actually feeling versus the story that you're telling yourself about it. Like notice how miserable you are and notice how much of your uh, relationship with that person, like your, your misery is a product of that. You know, and I also will tell people like a big one that I give out is always doing, I have people write out like 30 versions of this, like 30 sentences of me plus like this, let's say that this person's name was Benedict. Benedict. I like that. (laughs) Sounds pompous. Yeah. You would write out like me plus Benedict equals blank. And I have people do 30 of those. Me plus Benedict equals chaos. Me plus Benedict equals misery. Me plus Benedict equals sadness. Me plus Benedict equals heartache. Me plus Benedict equals... And and there will sometimes be positive ones in those too. But what ends up happening is you see, well, this is actually what the equation is of me and this other person together. This is what we actually this create. This is the real math, yeah. Yeah, we don't create like love and affection and belonging and safety. We create uh, safety. stress and friction and complication and drama and unhappiness. And that's always really eye-opening for people because when you see it like that, like it's like written out in black and white, that's hard to deny. Yeah, and it's, it's really challenging in those scenarios um, because also the usually the sexual chemistry is so powerful. Mm-hmm because it's just two wounds just banging away. Mm-hmm. And the other side of it is that overt, even if you're not having sex or not getting, that overt longing is mm-hmm. so powerful. Mm-hmm. That's where we have to start to learn what is our biology versus what is good for us. Mm-hmm. You know, Because if you like to hump things that are bad for you, then you know that your biology is making oh bad God. decisions. Your wounds yeah. are choosing for you. Um, I was at the psychotherapy training uh, once where the guy was saying that if you take what stories people enjoy in pornography mm-hmm. and you remove the sex, you can find their wounding. Mm. Because what we're doing is we're eroticizing our pain. We're making mm-hmm. sexy what hurts us. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that Freud would love that, of course, because he thought everybody wanted to bang anyone and your mom is for sure in there somewhere because Freud would love that. <laughs> And I thought that was very fascinating. I don't know how a pizza delivery porn fits into that wounding, but it could be a stranger <laughs> part of it. I don't know. But I was like, every story? Uh, <laughs> yeah. What about, excuse me, sir? What about, what about the pizza delivery? That's always yeah, been yeah, a favorite yeah. of mine. <laughs> yeah. But in that would even be the unavailability of a stranger. Yeah. Not to, uh, <laughs> you know, no, but like, or like the, the mystery of a strength, you know, the anonymity of, and the safety yeah. and anonymity, Feeling like, seen because it's, yeah. you know, yeah. I think that's why people, when they travel are so good at, you know, hooking up because there's always an expiry date. For, mm-hmm. They think there is, but of yeah. course then they catch feelings because biology, you know, yeah. again, you're a human being. If you have to shut off your ability to connect during intimacy, then you're not fully present. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and then there's like part of, you're just basically masturbating with another human being, mm-hmm. which is again, another, you know, I think there's so many aspects of the unavailable person that we're attracted to that are like, that's why when I say it's crazy, I mean, that was so much compassion. Cause I kn- I have been crazy. I know. What oh, I'm like. A hundred. And it's also like, you know, the only reason that I can tell this story, one, that I can tell this story without shame and that I can tell this story as a woman and a coach now who like leads other women through that similar kind of, you know, process of like dissolving that toxic pattern. The only reason I can do it is because I have nothing but tremendous compassion and empathy for who I was at that point in my life. You know, like I can see how lost I was. I can see how sad I was. I can see how badly I just wanted to like experience this level of, of love and connection in the only way that I understood it, which was usually like um, translated through like drama and the roller coaster ride, you know, and, and having some version of unavailability and codependency like that was those were my love languages you know Mm -hmm. so which is actually something i i talked about on instagram a while ago and i want to turn it into a post because i think you know i love like the five love languages the what's his name who is that who is Uh, um oh gary i like okay so yeah the five love languages if you don't know it if you don't know it now you know it's really good But I think, you know, I often say it's like, well, many of us also have a, I call them the fucked up love languages, which is like, you know, uh, conflict for people can be a form Mm -hmm. of a love language. Like criticism can be a love language. Codependency can be a love language. Avoidance can be a love language. Like based on your family of origin, based on what you were sort of, what was modeled for you, what you was imprinted on you, what forms of love you participated in really early age, you're going to get, I, I tell, tell people all the time that it's like, oh, you're a little, you're wired for bad love. You know, mm. like you're sort of, that's, that's the lane that you think that you need to travel in to get to the love destination. But that lane, if you continue traveling in that lane and speaking those languages, it just leads you in more and more painful place to more and more painful places. Um, yeah, I totally agree. And I think the, the, important part of that too is that once you understand and are connected to your wiring and reality Mm -hmm. then you can actually make changes because your feet are on solid ground but when you're not connected to reality you're floating above the clouds um and it might feel like a hell but it's still you're disconnected from truth and when you're disconnected from truth you can't actually change anything because you're not rooted in reality yeah um because you can't change something that you won't accept no Right. And you'll just keep going. You'll keep finding ways to avoid the truth. And mm-hmm. that will show up in food, drugs, alcohol, sex, dating, mm-hmm. unavailable people. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important for people to know that, I mean, <laughs> we're two people who have changed that. Oh, my God. Right. Anyone Same can day. change it. Yeah, I Anyone agree. Can change it. You know, I, I agree. I remember when I first started writing, writing about how, like, I was listening to Alison Armstrong um, talk about attraction and she was saying never date anyone who's like a 12 out of 10 for attraction mm-hmm. and I was like bullshit like if you're a 12 10 out of 10 like how dare you say that that but I started to see that what I used to code as 12 out of 10 was actually misguided eroticizing of pain mm-hmm. like I was attracted to something overtly unavailable about them or something my even my like intuition would be like that person's so unavailable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 
why does your intuition sound like Bane or like Batman? Like it, it was horny, you know, the intuition. <laughs> but the, but then the more rational part of me, and the the part that had to make good dis- the adult in me, yes, was like, I get it. Like a, mm-hmm. a twelve out of ten is not true connection and true. That's two hurt people coming together. As mm-hmm. opposed, and it's amazing how hurt people can just smell each other. Oh, it's like if I went to a party, you know, who like we we just like burp, 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 like we just found each other like two little <laughs> like points on a map, like just like magnets here together. <laughs> Wait a second, this is so weird. Look at you and me being fucked up together, like. <laughs> It's so. We should have a drink. That's a great yeah, idea. We should go to have a drink. It's so like it's so mysterious and not at the same time. Do you know what I mean? Like it because we uh, attract what we're a match for, which is something people hate. Yeah. Like everybody hates that. Like that's like you know, or or wing like wing. they're your equivalent. Yes. In some mm-hmm. way, they play well with you in the sandbox, not yes. well. Yes. You found yourself in the same sandbox because you like the same sand. Yes. Yeah, always. Um, Wayne Dyer says, you don't attract what you want. You attract what you are. And like, I think that there's just so much painful truth in that because when I look at how dysfunctional I was in terms of the, yeah, like my relationship to myself and what I thought love was and what attraction was to me and how I participated in relationships. The only people I really bumped into were people who were a match for it. Right. Mm-hmm. Who also kind of had that same pattern. Yeah, um, it's, um, it's fascinating. Cause I, I, I thought about it about my own experience too. And I was writing about it and all of a sudden just sort of what flowed out of me was, emotionally unavailable people are the only people that find emotional unavailability attractive. Like to anyone else, it is a complete red flag. And that's why I think it's so interesting and important, as you said, to get rooted in the truth, mm-hmm. but then to recognize that how am, why am I emotionally unavailable? Like yeah. where has love led for me that has been painful? Yeah. What to you, like what are the the signs and signals that you see that equate to emotional unavailability. Like if we were to create a little like emotional unavailability starter pack, what does that look like? <laughs> a starter pack. How do you start without them? Um, one would definitely be fresh out of a relationship mm-hmm. that hasn't looked at their stuff. Mm-hmm. Like below six months out of a relationship that they didn't end, especially if they mm-hmm. ended it, they might get a little grace period. Mm-hmm. Um, if they're not interested in personal growth at all, if they hate their exes, that's a pretty good mm-hmm. sign that they are, have not emotionally evolved or found forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Not that you can't dislike how a person's been, but I mm-hmm. think holding on to disdain. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Emotionally unavailability. Uh, inconsistent behavior. Oh my I God. That's Yeah, one of the biggest ones. Yeah, like flaking, yeah. inconsistent behavior, not being available. Um, Cause you know, like when things work, you don't have to even think about games, but you also have to work on when is your energy anxious and needy because we will create things by not having, uh, not taking responsibility for our own feelings. Mm-hmm. Now I was thinking about this the other day, I was sitting in the car with Kylie and we were, um, we were like driving to the ferry, not that the destination matters to the story, but just, just <laughs> but where exactly were you? Yeah, in to the ferry. Sunny and about 8am. Um, <laughs> on a Thursday Mm -hmm. and she was using her phone for work and I was driving 
And I, right away, my emotional response was, I can't believe she's on her phone right now. Like pay attention to me. Mm-hmm. And this was my internal dialogue. And then <laughs> I looked and I saw that she was working. Mm-hmm. And I knew that she was working, but this is like my kid brain, right? Yeah. And then I'm like, huh. Like I really wanted to be like, do you have to use your phone right now? Or like, mm-hmm. couldn't you just put it down? Mm-hmm. And she's not always on her phone. So that's not even fair either. Mm-mm. She's present almost all the time, you know, mm-hmm. like except for when she has to do work. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting there and I thought, this is what's called self-soothing mark. Like <laughs> be your own company yeah. and acknowledge and accept that you want to connect with her, but you also have to entertain yourself and you can't mm-hmm. subcontract discomfort. Mm-hmm. Oh and my I'm God, like, what a great sentence. I was like, oh, okay, I'm an adult, I'll drive. So, it, mm-hmm. And it was an interesting dialogue that happened within me that is, I think what I've had to learn is I was so uncomfortable with discomfort that the, the trigger doesn't go away because that discomfort came from not having a need met by a parent or not feeling included in school or, you know, something like that. So the radar is important because the trigger goes off because it could lead to pain. It could mm-hmm. lead. I've also dated someone who never posted anything about us and never talked about us and never I dated her and she never dated me, essentially. Mm. And I made a rule after that, that I would never, ever not be celebrated in a relationship. She was totally emotionally unavailable. And there were so many red flags that I let go by making excuses for her. Mm -hmm. And I think it's fascinating. Another huge red flag for us is when we're making excuses for someone who doesn't make them for themselves. If you could see me right now, <laughs> I am doing like, <laughs> like praise hands emoji, like preach, 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 preach. What about you? What do you think are the main? Yeah. One of the big things I was going to say is like a, a lack of ownership, I think is, is huge. Right. So sometimes you have a, a like, I can think of situations where I've dated people or been in a relationship and brought something up and been like, you know, it really I feel hurt when, when you do this, right. Or I feel um, like, I remember I had one, one partner, he was like a really good, I say he was a great guy, but just kind of a crappy boyfriend. Like he had a ton going on in his life. You know, he was sort of scattered anyway, and he just wasn't a great communicator. So very, very often he would say he would call and then wouldn't, or he would say he would text and then wouldn't. Like I remember one time he was flying to Thailand work and he was like I'll call you as soon as I get to the hotel and like 48 hours later like I still hadn't heard from him and I was like I hope he's not uh, dead in an airplane um (laughs) Thailand you never know you know well yeah and I remember like he came home from that trip and I said you know that that it hurt me and I was worried you know like I I was concerned and and it's actually a pattern at this point that like you'll say that you're gonna call and then you don't and I end up feeling like I'm just not a priority to you And I remember his response was sort of just like, you know, I'm just not great at that. Like, I'm just not great at that. That's, and that's kind of just who I've always been. And, you know, other people have told me that before too. And I don't really know what to do about it. Like a lack of, I, the term I use, I made a video about this recently. The term I use is it's like indefensible. Like, it's like, you can't really explain or defend or own why you do what you do. You just sort of like, it's like, it's to me, it's also an indicator of there's just a level of depth that he wasn't willing to go to. He didn't want to look at, well, why am I doing that? And why am I actively hurting this person who I say I love? 
You know, why am I, why is it so hard for me to consider this other person? Is she not a priority to me? You know, like there was just a certain level and layer that he didn't want to go to for any number of reasons. But, you know, I think that that's a big one is if you're, if you're dating someone and I tell people like have, I don't, this terminology isn't great, but I think it's good terminology. Like, you know, don't be afraid early on to quote unquote, like to poke the bear a little bit in the sense of like, you know, don't be afraid to kind of dig a little deeper or to go to those uncomfortable places in conversation because you want to see what you're working with. Is this a person who can engage on a deeper level, who can take ownership, who, if you're hurting, will take an interest in that even, you know, just be like, oh my God, I didn't know that that's how you felt. Thank you for telling me how you felt. Or is this a person who's going to kind of go, oh, you know, like, I don't really have, cause I've literally, I mean, I've had conversations like that in my own dating life um, where I'm like, you know, this really bothers me or this makes me nervous or I, I'm worried that we might be incompatible in this way. And if that's met with sort of like a, mm, like shrug, <laughs> I don't really know what to tell you. Not a good sign. No. You know, because that's someone who, instead of leaning in with you, they're putting up a little bit of a wall and saying, you know, well, well maybe then, you know, I can't help you with that. Yeah, I think it's um, um, interesting that when we do that, we fear that if we express a need, then we might push them away. When really yeah. expressing the need is what allows them to love you more, but it also is a great filtration process. Completely. That if this person can't meet your need, they're not for you. So here's a tough question, though, because I think that this is where we start to get, where people start to get stuck. Mm-hmm. And I myself will get stuck, and I'm sure that you do too. So, like, we have one, I wanna, so the question that I wanted to raise is how do we know the difference? When, because this is a question I get from women, how do we know the difference between when I need to just self-soothe and when it's something that I need to bring to my partner's attention, right? Like your example with Kai in the car, you have enough awareness. I also think you and Kai have enough water under the bridge together. You know what I mean? You have an, or train tracks under the train. You just yeah. have a... I know the <laughs> response I would have gotten from her, Hannah. <laughs> It would have been right? like, it would have been take responsibility for yourself there, buddy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. But this is something that especially I think maybe I'm answering my own question away, which is to say when you're in the early stages and you, those bonds haven't been formed yet, to me, that is not the time to go, well, I'm just being ridiculous. Well, he didn't mean it that way. You know, well, I shouldn't look at it that way. I think that is more the time to go, I need to address this because this is getting under my skin or making me upset, but I don't know. Like, do you have a, what do you make of that? Well, I think if your need comes from a genuine place rather than a need to like, if you're creating a need just to connect, that's Mm. different than, and to feel like a lot of the times we, we use wants as a way of meeting needs too. Mm -hmm. So like, I want him to accept my friendship request or sorry, my relationship request on Facebook. Cause then, well, but I really need a security. Yes. There's like a, there's like a placeholder thing. Yeah. Like, like a symbolic need, want. Exactly. So it's yeah. like, I need to feel important. I want a purse. Will you buy it for me? Mm. Right? And so what we start doing is we meet our wants. We meet our needs through wants, but they're this never actually met. That's so good. So I think that's a distinguisher. The other one is if you get right with you, as you said, all your work with people dating in any capacity is always about 
getting to know yourself and loving yourself. And when you do that, then your needs come from a full place because Amen. you recognize, right? So you're not getting them to fill your cup. Your cup is full and you need them to, you know, help maybe like fill a leak in the side, you know, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? And I think that's different. Um, yes. And I can completely confirm that because when I got out of the relationship with a bad communicator, I remember having this moment with myself and being like, oh, I wanted this level of like attention and communication and acknowledgement from him that I do not know how to actively give myself. So yeah, me, being, with me being super thirsty for his texts, and being so indignant when he wouldn't communicate with me in the way that I wanted him to communicate, it's because he wasn't giving me enough attention. And that was scraping on like the gaping horrific wound that I walked around with, which was, I don't know how to pay attention to me. Mm. Like, I don't know how to pay attention to me. I don't know how to honor my needs. I don't know how to take care of myself. So like you said, so I will subcontract that too this like 24 year old guy like, who was just who was lovely, but can't even, who can't even communicate. So it was like, I remember leaving that relationship being like, okay, there was a layer of just incompatibility there. Right. Cause I also am an over communicator. I like a lot of communication, but that, but it was like, it was getting so amplified by my, my need for, for his like attention and acknowledgement all the time, because I hadn't yet figured out how to give that to myself. Again, I, I think the real, um, to bring it back all to sort of what draws us to them is that the, the thing that we're missing within ourselves, the thing mm -hmm. we need to fill, the thing that we want healed, we have made it someone else's job to do. Totally. Never capable of doing it. Nope the whole intention of the attraction because all they are is a projection of the our work that we need to do. So whatever your partner's not giving you is a real good sign that you need to give it to yourself. And Absolutely. I mean, through the work, you end up recognizing that whatever you didn't get as a child is usually what you're attracted to not getting in a relationship, mm -hmm. which again, in relationship is such a mind fuck because we go, okay, so you're saying I didn't get, you know, attention as a kid or my parent was overtly um, smothering. Mm -hmm. I didn't get space. So I either mm -hmm. didn't get enough attention or I didn't get enough space, whatever. Or I got both and I'm confused. And <laughs> it's, Which is everyone. Everyone falls into right? one of those categories. Yeah. And we'll oscillate between them and all those things. Yeah. But I will then go seek out someone who does the same. Why would I ever want to do that? Well, you might go for the exact opposite, which is why I said you might add a parent who was never around. So you'll go to someone who's smothering. Of course, balance is not found there. It's found in the middle. And I think that when we can start to see that our attraction is drawing us to these people so we can finally learn the skills we always needed, mm -hmm. then we will pick people from a place where we're not trying to get them to heal us mm -hmm. and they can just love us. Mm -hmm. And that's so much simpler. Like mm -hmm. if every time you're swiping on Tinder and the person's swiping back and then all of a sudden they get in a con conversation with you and they're like, oh my God, she wants me or he wants me to help heal them. Because that's the weight of the words and the feelings when things come from a, a place that we're afraid to, like if you don't meditate, that's a pretty good sign that you don't like being in your own head, <laughs> right? Like I, I think if you've tried it and you, didn't, you stopped doing it, that's a good sign you need to do it. 
Yeah. To me, that's the single greatest skill you can build yeah. first. Yeah. So, you know, it's uh, if you can't sit five minutes in your thoughts, what the heck? No, but I think that you just said something I want to, I want to highlight for people because I think it's hard to understand. I have, so I teach an online dating workshop called Swipe Like a Boss. Yeah, you do. Such and it's like, title. It's one of my favorite things in the whole world to teach. And it's really, I tell people it's about online dating, but it's also not about online dating. Um, but one of the principles that I teach in that is that your energy introduces you before you even log into the app, you know, which is like when you say like the, it's like the weight and, and your word choice and, and your energy gets transmuted through this little device, through this lovely little service called Tinder and people pick up on it. Like, you know, yeah. this is, and this is why I was so fascinated. And I think your trajectories may be similar in that, like, you know, I was so unattracted to unavailable people and it was, and it, and it was so, and it was also always like the people that, the people that I want never want me because they're unavailable. <laughs> and then when I started practicing really solid self-care, when I started getting better boundaries, which I learned how to do after you know, my, my ex relapsed and I started realizing, oh, I have to set boundaries with this person. I've never done that before in my life. This is horrible. <laughs> um, you know, when I started filling up my own cup and paying more attention to myself and nourishing myself and choosing myself before anybody else would choose me, right? Suddenly it's like people can feel and sense that's a full cup person. Like totally. her, she's got a full fucking cup. That's one. It's just rare. Like we just don't encounter a lot of full cup people. Two, full cut people walk around with like, we can like sense that it's like that person has self-respect and strong boundaries and a sense of themselves. And they're not like, you know, approaching relationships from this like desperate seeking heal me place. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's almost like if you were to think about it energetically and I'm not, you know, I'm not saying this from a place of like ultimate woo, right? But if it's like, if it's talking about the energy going outward or pulling inward, we're attracted to people who are radiating that sense of like self-respect, self-worth, self-esteem, all the self stuff. And because it is unusual and because it's attractive, because it's literally like that person is lit up. There's something about that person and it doesn't have anything to do with what your face looks like or your fucking waist size or your peach emoji booty or your six pack <laughs> or, you know, or your full head of hair. Like it doesn't have anything to do with that. Like, I totally like, agree. like people who are inherently attractive, they are full cup people. Yes. And interestingly, all the parts of us sort of follow with those choices, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like food choices, exercise choices, mm -hmm. boundaries. I mean, boundaries are a goal. If you have good boundaries, you have a good life. That's just mm -hmm. full stop, so true. And I think what people don't realize till they realize is that the people who are posting pictures of their abs or their ass or whatever, a perfect angled, oh, is that a cleavage shot? I didn't even realize those girls were in there. <laughs> Sorry about that. But like in that experience, you actually start to code those um attention-seeking behaviors as actually red flags mm -hmm. like you start to like i had a rule when i was online dating that if you don't have enough friends to take your picture then i don't want to date mm -hmm. you and that mm -hmm. was like people are like that's harsh i'm like yeah no yeah. that's okay absolutely and i'm i sleep well at night yeah <laughs> you know and that's fine and you know i used to have people be like you're so picky i used to hear that all the time yeah so picky 
And I was like, well, what's the opposite of picky? A hundred percent. Not picky. Yeah. Imagine saying to someone's daughter or to someone's mom, like, I picked your daughter. I mean, I'm not actually very picky. (laughs) And my friends told me to stop being picky and your daughter just just happened to be in the same place and a couple of my ties later, you know? I know. Don't and and this is the thing, it's like I tell people it's like we're not talking about like, oh, you know, what shoes do I want to buy for the spring season? It's like, you know, like this is a fucking life partner, arguably. I would say maybe the literally like the top defining choice you can make for how fucked up or how awesome is my life gonna be. I actually a zillion percent agree that it yeah. is probably the most not what school you go to not mm-hmm. what fucking degree you choose mm-hmm. not even if you choose to get one because mm-hmm. that shit if someone's in education they're gonna be like Fuck. <laughs> doesn't really actually matter that much anymore you can go get an education on your own on the internet now mm-hmm. you know but who you choose to share your life with eric Fromm has the book the art of loving mm-hmm. and it's an amazing book. And in mm-hmm. it, he talks about there is no other thing we do in life. He's more eloquent than thing, but there's no other thing we choose in life or do in life that we fail at so regularly at love mm-hmm. that we don't bother to learn about. And he's like, if it was any other thing, like if you're a physician, you study the body and you study pathology and you study disease and you study treatment and you become an expert. He's like, in every other thing in life, we do that, but mm-hmm. not in love. There's something about love that we just are born thinking we're okay at it. Or that if our parents were fucked up, for sake of a better term, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they had challenges, which they all do because they're human and they're children of parents, it's like we just think that somehow the universe will transmute to us relationship skills that we've never seen. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like food choices follow generations, mm-hmm. of course. Um, Mm -hmm. self-love follows generations, relational patterns follow generations. And I think, you know, coming back to what you said earlier, just about, um, and more focused on women dating unavailable people or becoming, you know, like when you look at relational experiences, women are often more anxious and men are often more avoidant just in terms Mm -hmm. of the default of how we attach and codependency. I mean, patriarchy set us up perfectly for codependency. That is codependency. It's like yeah. complete abandonment of self and whatever my dreams are. I mean, women just started voting not that long ago. It was like a hundred years ago. Isn't that insane? I don't even, I can't, I, honestly, I'm not even sure we should go down this road because that right. was- <laughs> I know it's a fiery feminism. I know, but I totally agree. Yeah. Um, well, but can I say, can I, Yeah. like, I want to add to this. I think, I think something that is very frustrating and I want to hear your perspective as a, as a highly evolved male that you oh, are. Oh God, that's setting a standard. I'm going to fart <laughs> in a second. Just as a leader and teacher <laughs> to other, you know, a highly evolved males and and females and everyone in between. A big concern of so many clients of mine and so many women is like I there. It just doesn't seem like there are enough good men to go around for good women. Mm-hmm. You know, like it just doesn't seem like, like I want someone who's really passionate about growth. I want someone who's self-aware. I did an Instagram story the other day where I said, there was this amazing tweet where this woman said, Hey guys, Oh, I hate that. I can't quote her on this. She said, Hey guys, um, being, uh, being in therapy is the new being tall. 
Oh, that's so great. <laughs> so great. That. Uh, five, eight, I would have been way more confident. <laughs> right. But like, and I posted and I was just like, how hot is a dude who's in therapy? Ladies, like, tell me, like I did a little poll and everyone was like fucking level 10, like on fire. Like if you meet a guy who's doing the work, it's like panties dropped. Let's make babies because <laughs> it's, <laughs> because, and it's for a number of reasons, you know, but it's like, I, uh, one, I don't, I don't ever uh, tell women like, you know, don't, don't heal yourself or better. This is another thing too, is that like, I think a lot of us start out on our self love journey being like, well, I need to love myself because then someone else will love me. Right. Like yeah. I love myself. So someone else will love me. So if I just get to this place where I love myself enough, then finally someone else will love me. So I'm just going to work on that for a while to get someone. And it's like, no, you, it's like, you have to want to heal yourself just for like the benefit and prosperity and, and, the, the feeling of being able to be like a fully expressed person in the world. But I also, and this is something I've been thinking about so much too, which is so annoying to think, cause I don't consider the male perspective very often because I just work so much exclusively. That's with okay. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry. But, about that. That's but, <laughs> but right. But I'm like, how, I'm like, how do I, how, I guess my question is, it's like, how do you, or how do we get men more on board with this? Well, this is a uh, charged <laughs> mostly female audience, so I like this question. Um, I'd say the first part as a man who wants to defend men. Please. Um, I think there's first an acknowledgement that there hasn't really been a socialized space for men, and there hasn't been social reward mm. for interpersonal growth and emotion. Mm. So if you ask, evolutionarily speaking, you ask men to start to study their feelings and get to know them, um, we've been programmed to not have any. And if you look at what a woman says she wants versus like a study in speed dating, they'll pick actually different than what they say they want. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, it's really beautiful for, and I'm genderizing here, mm -hmm. for women to scream from the rooftops about what they say they want. But I think I would invite them to look at what they're looking for and choosing, mm -hmm. choosing, choosing, choosing. Now, now that I've gotten that caveat out of the way, mm -hmm. um, I think we need to, like when you look at Brene Brown's research, she, she talks about it in, um, I think, The Power of Vulnerability TED Talk, one of them, or in Shame, one of those TED Talks. But she says that when a man actually cries in front of his partner, his partner gets angry mm -hmm. and actually is um, turned off by him. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's so important that we start to recognize our biological response to sadness in a man, which means not safe. Yeah. Yeah. versus, oh, wow, this man actually is really a wonderful human being and he's in touch with his feelings. Mm -hmm. so there's the evolutionary part that says that's not good and I'm coding this as I'm not safe mm -hmm. and versus this is actually a quality I seek and I need to find attraction in it as opposed mm -hmm. to it like drying up my parts, you know? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so um, how do we get them more into it? Well, you know, when you sell things to men, most of the stuff is sold at the idea of sex or mm -hmm. leadership, right? Mm -hmm. Like achievement. Mm -hmm. So we got to sell them what they want and give them what they need. Mm -hmm. And if there's one thing I've seen happen over and over again, like people like Connor Beaton, uh, Mike Campbell, um, Traver, Boehm, Boehm, mm -hmm. um, they're all doing men's work, you know? And like incredible men's work, Ben Goreski. I mean, there's like people who are really teaching those things. And I think when men start to see that they are losing women to emotionally intelligent men, 
mm. then they'll do that. But you know. Can I, first of all, no, go ahead, finish. Well, I was just thinking that what also needs to happen there, though, is if a woman sees the dialogue about men that happens on the news and the media and social media, it's often not positive and it's often shaming. Even yeah. the term toxic masculinity is immediately going to put any man mm -hmm. in fight, flight, freeze. And mm -hmm. this is biological. If you ask someone, do you want some feedback at work? They go into fight, flight, freeze because no one's ever said that and then being like, you're such a good job. <laughs> right. And, and so when you say toxic masculinity, you inherently are following there's going to be shame triggered and then they won't hear you anymore because yeah. the prefrontal cortex shuts down. So instead we say undeveloped, immature, you know, mm -hmm. like there's so many other words for it. Cause if we said toxic femininity, I think we'd be in a lot of trouble, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that language difference, although people say like, you've had your time at the top, it's time to pay at the bottom, you know, or whatever. And I'm like, but that's not how balance is ever found. Mm -mm. Anyways, that was my rant. No, I think, thank you for all of that. And I, I think this is like arguably the most charged topic that we could find ourselves oh on. So I appreciate you just rolling with me, dropping that. But I think it, you know, it is something that comes up a lot in conversations. And I think, you know, and I ask too, as someone who is a speaking into the void that we call the internet and, um, you know, serving women and wanting to also serve men because the goal for me is like, you know, I want harmony and union for people, right? Like I want, I want every, I want every good woman to find a good man and vice versa. And I want, or, you know, whatever it is that you're looking for, I speak heteronormatively as well. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, but yeah, I think one of the big things, and I'll just say this, like, cause it's, it's been a mission of mine for like the past year is like, and I, I say this, it's like, you cannot hate men and date men at the same time, you know? Oh like, yeah. I've heard you say that. I love that. Yeah. And it's like, and it's, or you can, but I promise you it will not produce the results that you want. And, and when I have said that to people or when I've gotten feedback one, I mean, a lot of people are just very like, you know, that makes a lot of sense and that's true. And a lot of people say, well, what about if you've just been repeatedly hurt and repeatedly hurt and, and like used and abused and mistreated, and, you know, my response to that as a woman who was really, I mean, if there's a way that you could get dicked over by a guy in your life, I can tell you I've probably been dicked over in that way. <laughs> and the, at least, and I can speak for myself, so the choice that I have made is not to then just whitewash every single guy in yeah. the world with that broad paintbrush of all of these guys from my past hurt me. So therefore all of you will hurt me. Mm -hmm. But to recognize that those individuals, like, what do we know, right? Like hurt people, hurt people, those individuals. And I, we were in a dance together and the, and the result of that dance was that I got hurt in, a, in this way, but I don't, then it does not serve me to carry around that hurt and then use that lens in my own love life or just in, in my own social life to then look through that and assume that all other men are like those men. And mm -hmm. I can't believe I'm basically almost saying like hashtag not all men because that's like <laughs> also such a triggering thing. But I'm saying, but I say, you know, I tell people this is I'm like, you have to choose what's going to serve you. You have to choose what's going to serve you. And I am the last person on work on earth to give men a pass. 
right? Like if you watch five of my YouTube videos, I do not tread lightly on like shitty male behavior. I open this up by saying, hi, let's talk about bottom feeder bros. So I'm not over here on like team. We look, you just have to, you know, like, don't just, you have to go easy on them and they're struggling too. But I'm saying if you are in pursuit of meaningful, lasting love and partnership, and there are parts of you that truly believe that men are bad or evil or toxic, I really, really encourage you to start cleaning that up because Mm -hmm. I agree. And, and my favorite way to do this, and it's an assignment that I give out to pretty much all of my clients, especially those who come from either unhealthy patterns or toxic or abusive relationships that you have to look in the world for evidence of good men. Like when you leave your house in the morning, you have to put your good man goggles on and you have to look for men who are kind, respectful, thoughtful people that you trust you know, look at your sister's husband, look at the guy who is tying his daughter's shoelaces at the playground, look at, even if it's like, you don't know the full picture of that person's life. It's like, you have to look for evidence and examples that there are good men, because I know that there are, I know yeah. that there are, of and course. you do too. When I think too, it's, um, it's interesting that the male side of when I go to men's groups, those mm-hmm. men say there's not women who can meet them. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? Right. So it shows you that if either of those groups of people, male, female, or anything in between, as soon as you create a construct that there's not enough good men or not enough good women, your mind is shaped to look for values Mm -hmm. and beliefs. So Mm -hmm. they'll actually just keep, it's like any belief system, political, religious, you'll always consume information purposefully that feeds the truth of the belief that you hold. Versus, mm-hmm. and you'll you'll actually deny environmental information. Some research from John Gottman showed that highly critical couples, a highly critical partner in a relationship, actually misses fifty percent of the positive things because mm. they're surveying for negative. And so I think this is where the responsibility falls upon us to be the curator of our radars and our minds, and also start to see that we need to code positive behavior, kind behavior. Like in the longitudinal relational research from the Gottmans, they see that kindness and generosity are actually the two most important qualities mm-hmm. of uh, marriages, of successful mm-hmm. marriages. And one of the greatest deaths of a relationship is when you start comparing your partner to imagined or real alternative people. Oh. And that is like one of the greatest killers of relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what's, you know, it's like so important that we start to look for, as you said, the good in all people. You all know, people. I walk out all day, you know, like go to like a coffee shop. I'm always noticing the really beautiful, positive interactions of men and women and, and in my experience of both men and women. And I was thinking if we don't believe men are emotionally intelligent or emotionally responsible or emotionally whatever, um, then we just haven't listened to enough love songs written by men. Mm. I mean, there's so many. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I was thinking the other day, just like if a man has been shamed his whole life for having feelings, which most men will have just through sports, through school, called the pussy, mm-hmm. feeling, whatever. Dad say, don't cry. Mom say, don't cry. You know, like mm-hmm. there's all these different things. And when they are faced their feminine partner, whether she be female or not, and they are being invited into an emotional conversation with them, they have whatever age they are, if that's one of the first moments they've ever been really like their life's on the line, if they can't get their feelings or their, fe- their relationship is, 
they have to go against whatever age they are, cellular programming of how emotion, where emotion goes. Yeah. If your dad told you to stop crying and your friends told you to not be a pussy or whatever, that means that every other ending of that story is disconnection and rejection. Yeah. So now it's going to be different, you know, yeah. and then the female partner goes, or the feminine partner goes, why can't you just tell me how you feel? I know. And he's like, oh my yeah. God, you know? So yeah. I think there needs to be compassion as a man or someone who's emotionally stunted because it doesn't have to be men. Um, there has to be compassion and patience that they're showing growth. If they're not showing growth and expansion and a willingness, yeah. if they don't want to go to therapy with you, if they don't want to go to, that's a pretty, that's maybe they're afraid to, but mm-hmm. still, they're not doing it. Yeah. So they're not saying I'm really interested in figuring this out. But I'm, yeah. Or, or like being able to name the fear, right. Is also just like, it's the difference between like, I'm not going to therapy and that's stupid. And I I'm open to it, but I don't, it really freaks me out to think about it or I'm afraid of, you know, what's going to happen there. I mean, this is something that I say to women too. Like I say this to clients all the time is like, imagine, like, think about what, think about like the volume of emotion that you feel. Right. And and how overwhelming that can be and how scared you can be at times and how hurt you can be at times. Now imagine feeling all that and not having the, the, the tools, literally like not having the emotional vocabulary, not having the introspective awareness, not having the five friends that you could call to now talk through and process that emotion. I mean, that is the experience of so many men is just, yeah. it's, and it's because we don't value it in men. And like you said, there hasn't been like a social reward or we haven't been able to tie it to like a larger valuable purpose for, for men to be emotionally available, intelligent. Um, and God, I like, I, I mean, thank, thank God. Like there, we are having this conversation that more people are having these conversations. And I would also say for anyone who may be in this conversation is finding that what we're saying is imperfect or triggering or upsetting, or you don't agree with it. Good. Yeah, right? that's fine. Because it's also because like these conversations are going to be imperfect because these are conversations that we've never really had before culturally. But mm. the important thing I think is that we are engaging in discourse around it and that we can talk about it, you know, and kind of open it up and just be like, okay, so what's really going on here and what's going to help everybody collectively? Yeah, it's a, it's a delicate and a good delicate subject. And I think the one caveat I would add to all of that about men is I would say, if you're a man listening, which is amazing, thank you for listening. Um, you're so hot. Yeah. I just want to say that to him. Yeah, you just so post sexy. a comment and a woman will seek you out on my Instagram. <laughs> but if you're a man listening and your partner has asked you to become more emotionally skilled, if you don't do that, they will find someone who is more emotionally skilled. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't put in the effort, that's what matters is like, and same for women, you know, like often when I write something that's more heteronormative and gender-based towards men like that, like I wrote an article called love her before she leaves you. Mm. And that's because women initiate divorce far more than men. Mm-hmm. When a woman leaves a relationship, she's done. Mm-hmm. You know, she's already been asking for two years for you to change. Mm-hmm. And then when you, she leaves, you want to change. Right. And so, um, but then I had so many men be like, I have been the other side of that. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. That conversation doesn't happen enough where mm. women can't meet them. And so I feel like I've sort of abandoned my homies that way when I write about, <laughs> oh, you're like, I'm sorry, homies. I know. <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, <laughs> we're definitely going to have to do another one of these. <laughs> 
Fuck, we could just crush subjects all day. So if you guys have not checked out Amy on Instagram and YouTube, you must. Amy, where can people find you? Yeah. So if you want to learn more about me, my work, upcoming programs, my website's the best place to do that. And that's amyyoungcoaching.com. If you just search Amy Young on YouTube, you'll just find the whole library of, of videos. Oh and, my God. They're so uh, funny. Thank you. I have a lot of fun over there. It's a lot of fun. Um, so yeah, check that in Instagram. I'm at Amy Young Co. All one word. So sweet. Yeah. All right. So you guys can reach out to her on her site or her Instagram if you need to get a hold of her. Mm-hmm. Um, and Thanks so much for coming back on. Are you kidding me? Thank you. When you texted me, I was like, duh, easiest yes ever. I like yeah. absolutely love you and I love the work that you're doing and, and you're such a gift. Right back at you. And I'm like, yeah. man, we just get to record a conversation that we're having and call it a podcast. That's it's so cool. It's the coolest. Life. It's so I good. Know. Anyways, everybody, thanks so much for tuning in. Until next week. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. If this episode resonated with you, one of the best ways to support the show is to go subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any more. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to it, or share the episode with your community on Instagram or whatever social place you like to hang out. This helps get it into more people's ears, and I'm so grateful for your support, always. Thanks again for tuning in. Much love.